Coming to you from the HagmanReport.com studio. Located in the Keystone State, birthplace of a mighty nation, it's your host, Doug Hagman. That's Lieutenant Colonel Doug Hagman to you. Now, welcome to Hagman. It's the Hagman Report where truth can't be silenced. Got to have a little fun once in a while. Shades of Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. That's right, Lieutenant Colonel. And that's, you get it right, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. As I open up here, the Hagman Report where truth can't be silenced. HagmanReportLive.com, HagmanReport.com. Bookmark both locations. If you witness the watch the um, impeachment hearings today, the televised impeachment day three, witnesses uh, witnesses uh, would be uh, let's see four, five, six, and seven. Uh, wow, yeah, okay. You, you know, I recall, and, and I'm old enough to remember the uh, Watergate hearings, okay, and uh, Judge Sirica and all the others, and John Dean and the testimony, and this isn't that, okay? This is not that. I'll tell you that right now. Um, and, of course, uh, most of you watching should be should recollect the impeachment hearings of uh, William Jefferson Clinton, but the... Uh, Lack of spark there, I suppose, eh, relative to the feel. I, I would equate these, uh, at least how the media, again, listen to my words carefully, at least how the media is trying to portray the hearings today, meaning the impeachment inquisition, the coup attempt, I would compare that more to um, the Watergate as opposed to the almost like a party atmosphere of the Clinton impeachment hearings. The legitimacy today isn't there, I will say. Whereas you have a, a sense of illegitimacy, not there today. Uh, kind of a party atmosphere um, under Clinton, but a very somber atmosphere under Nixon. So uh, I wasn't there for Andrew Johnson. I'm not that old, although some people may say you look that old. I'm not that old. But anyway, that was in 1864, I believe. 1868. I, I'm well within a five-year period anyway in that. All right. So this is day three, televised day three. In the morning, we saw Jennifer Williams and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman as a matter of fact, let's put the um, photograph up of the impeachment individuals. Here we have Tuesday, that's today, from left to right on your screen. Thank you, Eric the Tech, by the way. How you doing, man? I just have to ask you, how you doing? I really haven't talked to you much this morning. Doing good. And this afternoon and throughout the evening. You, you okay? You, oh, yeah. All right. Have you talked to my daughter and, and today? I mean, you're you're keeping in touch, right? You're sending them postcards. Yes, I'm, I'm holding Eric the Tech hostage. Believe it or not, okay. It seems like a 
Man, it's just like a big, long day. Anyway, so left to right, you've got Jennifer Williams, Alexander Vindman, the 9.30 this morning, 2.30. You have Kurt Volker and Tim Morrison. And then tomorrow on tap, you've got Gordon Sondland and Laura Cooper, David Hale and Fiona Hill. That's for uh, Wednesday and Thursday. And, of course, today you see on the top screen, as we saw throughout the day. Now, uh, I'm going to just kind of separate this right in half. The, the, the top row, I'm going to separate this in half and just touch on this morning's impeachment proceedings. and uh, Because there's a lot there. Um, but before I do, I want to start this segment by the way, I've got a great show lined up for you. I probably should have said this at the beginning. Stan Day on our number two, our number one news analysis of what's going on, what's taking place, and some additional information that you really, I think, I think you need to know. Hand selected from certain things I've seen over the course of the last 24 hours. But let's first, before we get into anything impeachment, Tucker Carlson had a really great piece yesterday. It's just a three or four minute monologue about the difference between Roger Stone and Jeffrey Epstein. Now, just for full transparency, I know Roger Stone. Um, I've talked to Roger Stone. I know him. I've, Eric, the tech knows him. We've met him in person. Washington, D.C. Um, I've co-hosted Infowars with Alec, or with uh, uh, Roger Stone. So, <clears throat> by the same token, I've also met and spoke with Dr. Jerome Corsi. Now, they're on opposite ends of the case of Russiagate. Roger Stone is put it against Jerome Corsi and vice versa. The middleman there is a guy by the name of Randy Credico. Now, I don't want to get into too much about this, but but again, in the matter of, or just for full transparency, I wanted to mention that. <clears throat> and, and of course, <clears throat> the other part of this with my uh, relationship with Roger Stone, when I say relationship, it's a professional relationship, not a personal one, and it's at the very basest of levels. In other words, it, it, we're not drinking coffee companions, drinking companions, or dinner companions, or anything like that. It's just a, a very professional relationship, um, just to be clear. But nonetheless, that does put you in a cer certain circle or a target. Maybe that's a more appropriate, a circular target, if you will, um, at, at different, uh, for different reasons. But Tucker Carlson spoke about the difference between Roger Stone, the treatment of Roger Stone, and Jeffrey Epstein. Now, you may consider both to be two most despicable human beings in your life. Oh, they're both horrible. Ah, okay. You're entitled to your, your opinion. It's fine. It's not about personality. It's not about the, the person. It's about the law and the rule of law. Tucker Carlson made a good comparison about the application of the rule of law between uh, Roger Stone and, and Jeffrey Epstein. Let's watch this. Oh, sorry. I, I caught you off guard there. Let's, when you're ready, let's watch this. 
Roger Stone was convicted in federal court last week on seven felony charges stemming from the since-closed Russia collusion investigation. Stone's main crime was lying to Congress about who he had or had not spoken to about Russia. By the time Stone's trial began in Washington, the larger scandal that ensnared him had long been debunked. Nobody was talking about WikiLeaks anymore. Nobody cared. And yet prosecutors continued zealously as if it were still 2017. For lying about something that is now officially irrelevant, they argue that Roger Stone should spend up to 50 years in prison, effectively the rest of his natural life. Now, at the very moment prosecutors were making that case that Stone's misstatements ought to be a death penalty offense, Congressman Adam Schiff was busy lying to the rest of us about new things, some of which actually mattered. Schiff didn't seem worried about his lying. He knew he would never be prosecuted for it. In Washington, dishonesty is strictly a one-way offense. Yet despite the obvious irony of all of this, Roger Stone was convicted anyway. An official Washington cheered. Rot in hell, they screamed on Twitter, oblivious to karma, which by the way is real. What's interesting about the response to Stone's case, both from federal prosecutors and from the conventional opinion makers on television, is how much harsher and more outraged it was than anything that greeted convicted child molester Jeffrey Epstein. Do you think George Stephanopoulos would even consider having dinner at Roger Stone's house? Well, of course not. That would be immoral. FBI officials apparently agree with that. You remember what happened when Roger Stone was arrested earlier this year? Okay. Dozens of... Can you pause that for a second? Now, folks, look on your screen. I want you to take a really good, hard look on your screen right now. That is the interior foyer of Roger Stone's house in Florida. That's inside his house. Now, I want you to consider that, strongly consider that. In the words that come next from Tucker Carlson, this is about a perjury charge, okay? But this is the foyer at, uh, I can't read that time. What time does that say on the screen, on, on the uh, video capture there? Okay, 6.52. Uh, I'm not sure if that time is right. It was certainly dark. It was certainly early in the morning. They were in bed. That, that is Roger Stone and his wife. And uh, this was a no-knock situation. Bust, you know, uh, maybe busting the door down might be an overstatement, but making gaining. Well, I, you know what? I don't think busting the door down is an overstatement. I, I think that... Uh, they breached entry, as you can see, the door closest to the uh, uh, left of the screen there appears to be rather askew. So, but consider this. Now, these are, just consider, just consider this is inside his home. Go ahead and continue. Agents with automatic weapons, armored vehicles, and a helicopter descended on his home in a middle-class part of Fort Lauderdale and rousted the 66-year-old and his wife from bed at rifle point. And just to make sure the event inflicted maximum humiliation, the feds tipped off CNN, which was there to capture the whole thing alive, which they did. That's how our government treated a man facing perjury charges. Okay, can you pause? I just want, I'm sorry about that. I, I, I want to say this. When I worked as an operational asset with the Department of Justice and the FBI, I was, I was on the other end of those raids. Now, this is back in the 1990s. 
generally speaking, it was during the day. And there were a few nighttime, very early or late at night, early in the morning situations. But generally speaking, it was during the daylight hours. And um, I would be wearing a wire or um, generally speaking, a wire. All right. And uh, they would be monitored by a team, a breach team that would come in uh, upon a certain signal. I'm not going to get too deep into it. But in other, in other words, and I would always try to leave, leave the door unlocked so that all they had to do was open the door and come in. So, you know, I don't know. That's just me. But, you know, why they don't, you know, why they don't uh, go through unlocked doors, I don't know as a rule. But I, I tried to, and I did most often. And most often, usually it was, a crash, bang, boom, and they were inside. But um, the, the point I'm trying to make is this. When, when I was, oh, this is maybe, I don't know, I must have been six, seven months into various operations with the uh, FBI. And I remember telling my FBI handler that I had been contacted by a local television station who somehow in some way got information about one of the what you're seeing right there one of those kind of raids coming up and it was actually someone through the police department through the municipal police department that had contacted that was aware of the operation that had contacted the media the media then contacted the fbi and i happened to know the person in, in the, at the media anyway the bottom line was they almost called that off the the operation, which ultimately resulted in a raid, they almost called that raid off because of the media knowledge of this. Now, they knew the day. They didn't know the time, nor did they know the target or the subject. In other words, the name of the person, people, actually. So all they, they would have had to do surveillance on me or on the uh, breach team or, you know, certain individuals in order to find that out. And even then it wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been even allowed near the location. The reason I bring this up, it's not, it has nothing to do with me, but based on my experience, this is in the nineties, this is how serious it was. You don't invite the media to video something like this. I suspect that could have been from an interior home camera of Roger Stone, but outside was CNN. Again, I just want to reinforce the idea that this is serious business, and you don't you don't say, "Yeah, come on down, CNN, come on down." It's not the way it works. Not even close. So in here we see, and, and you hear them inviting CNN, the FBI inviting CNN into this picture. Wow, that's incredible. All right, we, we can continue with the, the rest of this. I think there's just a minute left. If that's now, Jeffrey Epstein, by contrast, was accused of molesting at least 34 separate underage girls. How was he arrested? Actually, that's a trick question. He wasn't arrested. According to the New York Times account, prosecutors called Jeffrey Epstein's lawyer and politely asked him to turn himself in, which Epstein politely did. Nobody tipped off CNN. 
In fact, just the opposite happened. Authorities tried to keep the whole thing secret in order to preserve Jeffrey Epstein's dignity. One prosecutor wrote to Epstein's attorney, Jay Lefkowitz, assuring him that in order to, quote, avoid the press, she could, quote, file the charge in district court in Miami, which will hopefully cut the press coverage significantly, end quote. Now, that's pretty thoughtful treatment for a child molester. Ultimately, Epstein got a plea deal in which all federal charges against him were dropped, all of them. The arrangement was kept secret from Epstein's victims, so they wouldn't be able to complain about it or contest that agreement in court. Epstein received just 18 months. But instead of being sent to state prison like most sex offenders in Florida, he served his term in a private wing of the Palm Beach County stockade. That was a massive improvement over ordinary lockup. But even that wasn't lenient enough for Jeffrey Epstein. After just three and a half months in custody, Epstein was freed on work release. That means he was able to leave the grounds for 12 hours a day, six days a week. Now, sex offenders are not by rule allowed to get work release. They're ineligible for it. But authorities gave it to Epstein anyway. Apparently, they liked him. The authorities don't like Roger Stone. He did something worse than molesting children. He mocked the people in charge and then helped get Donald Trump elected president. For that, Roger Stone is likely to die in prison. Just so you know the rules in this country. Just so you know the rules. Just so you know the rules in this country, and thank you for playing that, and thank you, Tucker Carlson, for uh, for that comparison. And I think that's a legitimate and valid comparison, don't, don't you folks? You know, we, earlier this year, throughout this year, we had spoken about equal justice, and Coach Dave Dobmeyer was the is sort of the face of Equal Justice Tour. Now, that is that still in existence? Yes, it is, Equal Justice Tour. Now, we had talked about equal justice, and there is no equal justice, and there will not be any uh, justice or true justice until justice is equal. And that, of course, means that the punishment is the same, whether you are a sex offender or accused of being a sex offender or accused of being a perjurer, whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, whether you are a conservative or a liberal or a communist or whatever, if you're a citizen of this country, you are afforded certain rights by the Constitution. Unfortunately, the Justice Department, as we've seen, and the prosecutors, as well as even federal judges, have not meted out justice fairly. We saw in the Roger Stone trial where the federal judge there in that trial permitted um, certain individuals on the jury, which the jury, the um, trial was held in Washington, D.C., that were obviously biased in favor of Clinton, biased against uh, Roger Stone as well as uh, President Trump. We saw that. In fact, some worked at the within the Obama regime, at least one, if not more. So what are we saying here? What, what, what am I, why am I saying this? Because the justice is not equal among us. And as such, we, we are a nation of laws until we're not. Where are we now? With that, I segue into earlier today, this morning, uh, at 9.30, impeachment proceedings began. They were televised, obviously, with the opening statement of Adam Schiff. And uh, President Jennifer Williams, again, and Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. 
following Schiff, Representative Devin Nunes made his opening statement. And of all of the morning proceedings, there are two, really two key issues. Now, there are more than that, but two, in my view, two interesting key issues here I wanted you to see. Now, the first one is a video. It's eight minutes in length. This covers Representative Nunes' opening statement, initial questions, or the, the initial questioning of Vindman, and some exchanges between Vindman or between uh, 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 Nunes and Schiff. Now, I'm going to pause this or have this paused and add some commentary. So if that bothers you, change the channel. But I think it's important here to note a, a few things on this eight-minute video clip. Again, I'll, I'll have it paused. I'm going to insert some commentary and then move forward. Go ahead and play that, uh, that Nunes opening statement clip. The eight, eight, the marked eight one five. I now recognize Ranking Member Nunes for any remarks he'd like to make. Thanks, gentlemen. I'd like to address a few brief words to the American people watching at home. If you watched the impeachment hearings last week, you may have noticed a disconnect between what you actually saw and the mainstream media accounts describing it. When you saw three diplomats who dislike President Trump's Ukraine policy, discussing second-hand and third-hand conversations about their objections with the Trump policy. Meanwhile, they admitted they had not talked to the President about these matters, and they were unable to identify any crime or impeachable offense the President committed. Okay, if you can just stop What right you read there. in the press uh, were a... Pause it right there. I mean, I heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who... Well, you know the song, right? Or if you're a little bit older, I heard it through the grapevine. You can go on. Devin Nunes just told the world, and I, and I find this very interesting because later on he mentions the fact that the mainstream media is no longer suitable for, for providing the truth. Therefore, people are looking for alternatives. Hello? Hello? Hello. I'd like, you to introduce, I'd like to introduce Eric the Tech and myself. This is the Hagman Report where truth can't be silenced. But see, this is important because Devin Nunes makes this distinction. There were three witnesses last week. You had uh, the ambassador. You had uh, Kent, George Kent, and Taylor, Ambassador Taylor. And then uh, Marie Ivanovich, the ambassador, testified. All three testified based on hearsay evidence. Today, we saw Jennifer Williams and Vindman testify on hearsay evidence. Vindman could be an exception. Well, actually, I don't think so. We, had to, we would have to dig a little bit deeper, but based on five witnesses, we're five for five. Why are they there? They have no reason to be there. So 
the what I wanted to draw your attention to was the statements made by Devin Nunes. Yes, I know you could have figured this out yourself, but specifically about the hearsay element, and then about the and this will come up again. So pay really really close attention about the what I would call the alternative to the mainstream media, which Devin Nunes acknowledges. Why do I say this? Because what they are trying to do, what the left is trying to do, is destroy platforms, legitimate platforms. Think OAN, One American News Network, for example. Think Dan Bongino. And if I may be as bold and and non-humble to add this platform in the mix. They don't want, I mean, they want to shut, they don't want any, and even InfoWars, think InfoWars. Look at what they've done to InfoWars, decimating InfoWars, what the social tech people have done to InfoWars, and many others too. I don't want to leave anyone out, but you get the idea. So with the first part, Devin Nunes saying, this is all hearsay. And when Russia failed, they went to Ukraine. Well, actually, with a few steps in between. When the Russian narrative failed, they went to Ukraine, which is what we're doing here today. When the quid pro quo had failed, now they're going to bribery and obstruction. This is what Devin Nunes is talking about. When the mainstream media reported on the impeachment hearings last week, televised, what you saw versus what they reported, you couldn't recognize it. Is that important? Absolutely. Which is why we are playing these segments from this morning. So it is not distilled through a biased or improperly curved lens. So let's continue shocking, damning, and explosive testimony that fully supports the Democrats' accusations. If these accounts have a familiar ring, it's because this is the same preposterous reporting the media offered for three years on the Russian hoax. On a nearly daily basis, the top news outlets in America reported breathlessly on the newest bombshell revelations showing that President Trump and everyone surrounding him were Russian agents. It really wasn't long ago that we were reading these headlines from CNN, Congress investigating Russian investment funds with Thai. This is purely now for a absolutely personal, this is all about me moment and Steve Quayle. Because both of us now are Russian agents, allegedly, who have somehow had the immense power to meddle in the 2016 elections. Now, where am I getting this from? Open source legal filings against the two of us. Can you believe it? You see, so anyone who associates with us or comes on this platform, and here's the key now, you certainly wouldn't want to come on a platform where the host represents un-American interests, do you? Would you? Think about the toxic effects that has now. If if that has those toxic effects on this platform, 
and with Steve Quayle, for example, because it's a matter, it's it's alleged in a public legal filing. That's right. So th- th- those of you copying and playing at home and, and typing this and transcribing this, get it right. You see the toxic effects it has on President Trump with the American people, or at least half of the American people. All right. That was just a very self-serving interjection. I can, uh, I'll let the rest play out, hopefully, here. Go ahead. To Trump officials, this was false. New York Times, Trump campaign aides had repeated contacts with Russian intelligence. Also false. Slate was a Trump server communicating with Russia. This was false. New York Magazine, will Trump be meeting with his counterpart or his handler? This was false. The Guardian, Manafort held secret talks with Assange and Ecuadorian embassy. Also false. Buzzfeed, President Trump directed his attorney to lie to Congress about the Moscow Tower project. All of these were false. There was no objectivity or fairness in the media's Russia stories, just as a fevered rush to tarnish and remove a president who refuses to pretend that the media are something different from what they really are, puppets of the Democratic Party. With their biased misreporting on the Russia hoax, the media lost confidence of millions of Americans, and because they refused to acknowledge how badly they botched the story, they've learned no lessons and simply expect Americans will believe them as they try to stoke yet another partisan frenzy. In previous hearings, I've outlined three questions the Democrats and the media don't want asked or answered. Instead of shedding light on these crucial questions, the media are trying to smother and dismiss them. Those questions start with, what is the full extent of the Democrats' prior coordination with the whistleblower, and who else did the whistleblower coordinate this effort with? The media have fully accepted the Democrats' stunning reversal on the need for the whistleblower to testify to this committee. When the Democrats were insisting on his testimony, the media wanted it too. But things have changed since it became clear the whistleblower would have to answer problematic questions that include these. What was the full extent of the whistleblower's prior coordination with Chairman Schiff, his staff, and any other people he cooperated with while preparing the complaint? What are the whistleblower's political biases and connections to Democratic politicians? How does the whistleblower explain the inaccuracies in the complaint? What contact did the whistleblower have with the media which appears to be ongoing. What are the sources of the whistleblower's information? Who else did he talk to? And was the whistleblower prohibited by law from receiving or conveying any of that information? The media have joined the Democrats in dismissing the importance of cross-examining this crucial witness. Now that the whistleblower has successfully kick-started impeachment, he has disappeared from the story as if the Democrats put the whistleblower in their own witness protection program. It's key. My second question, what was the full extent of Ukraine's election meddling against the Trump campaign? 
In these depositions and hearings, Republicans have cited numerous indications of Ukraine meddling in the 2016 elections to oppose the Trump campaign. Think many Biden. of these instances were reported, including the posting of many primary source documents by veteran investigative journalist John Solomon. Since the Democrats switched from Russia to Ukraine for their impeachment crusade, Solomon's reporting on Burisma, Hunter Biden, and Ukraine election meddling has become inconvenient for the Democratic narrative, and so the media is furiously smearing and libeling Solomon. In fact, the publication The Hill told its staff yesterday it would conduct a review of Solomon's Ukraine reporting. Coincidentally, the decision comes just three days after a Democrat on this committee told a Hill writer that she would stop speaking to The Hill because it had run Solomon's stories. Right. And she urged the writer to... Pause that, please. Again, we have a very distinct and very important uh, piece of information right there. If you cannot, uh, or, well, you've got to control the narrative. You've got to control the news. So here you've got this committee saying, okay, if you don't muzzle John Solomon because uh, of his reporting, because he's really doing damage to the committee, then you're not going to get anything from us. Now, given my platform, all right, let's say Eric the Tech gets a note like that. Well, you know what my response would be, right? Essentially, bite me. Or in, in some, in, in, at some level, at some, uh, some form of that sentiment. The reason I say that so forcefully is look at what they're attempting to do here. Whereas the media... And uh, the the media is actually being portrayed as the victims here. The mainstream media, ABC, NBC, CBS. Whatever happened to uh, the Doughboy at CNN, Brian Stelter? Whatever happened to him? We rarely hear from him, or maybe I just haven't been paying attention. But see, this is where, and and this uh, this is why I want to stop it here. You're going to hear Devin Nunes talking about they're, we're not going to, the mainstream media is working itself into irrelevance with at least half of the American population. And that's the, that's the half of the population I'm speaking to now. Or at least the percentage of that population I'm speaking to now, whatever percentage of that might be. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if this is the piece where there's the exchange between Schiff and newness, I hope it is. Or is that a separate piece? I, that might be a separate piece, right? Um, okay. And do we uh, do we know how much le is left on this? Or three okay, we've got three minutes left on this. Go ahead. I can't remember why I wanted the entire clip to play, but let's go ahead and leave it run. Lay her concerns to Hill's management. So now that Solomon's reporting is a problem for the Democrats, it's a problem for the media as well. I'd like to submit for the record, John Solomon's October 31st story entitled Debunking Some of Ukraine's Scandal Myths About Biden and Election Interference. I encourage viewers today to read this story and draw your own conclusions about the evidence Solomon has gathered. 
ask unanimous consent that we put this into the record, Mr. Chair. Without objection. The concerted campaign by the media to discredit and disown some of their own colleagues is shocking. And we see it again in the sudden denunciations of New York Times reporter Ken Vogel as a conspiracy theorist after he covered similar issues, including a 2017 Politico piece entitled, Ukrainian efforts to sabotage Trump backfire. My third question, why did Burisma hire Hunter Biden? What did he do for them? And did his position affect any US government actions under the Obama administration? We have now heard testimony from the Democrats' own witnesses that diplomats were concerned about a conflict of interest involving Hunter Biden. That's because he had secured a well-paid position despite having no qualifications on the board of a corrupt Ukrainian company while his father was vice president charged with overseeing Ukrainian issues. After trying out several different accusations against President Trump, the Democrats have recently settled on bribery. According to widespread reports, they replaced their quid pro quo allegation because it wasn't polling well. But if the Democrats and the media are suddenly so deeply concerned about bribery, you would think they would take some interest in Burisma paying Hunter Biden $83,000 a month. And you think they would be interested in Joe Biden threatening to withhold U.S. loan guarantees unless the Ukrainians fired a prosecutor who was investigating Burisma. That would be a textbook example of bribery. The media, of course, are free to act as Democrat puppets, and they're free to lurch from the Russia hoax to the Ukraine hoax at the direction of their puppet masters. But they cannot reasonably expect to do so without alienating half the country who voted for the president they're trying to expel. Americans have learned to recognize fake news when they see it, and if the mainstream press won't give it to them straight, they'll go elsewhere to find it. There it which is. is exactly what the American people are doing. That I yield back. Okay, and there it is. They're going to go elsewhere to find it. And you're, hopefully you're here because this is elsewhere. It is where truth can't be silenced. And I'd like to think that as well. Now, to that extent, I want to mention this. I had mentioned InfoWars yesterday. Um, I don't think many people give them enough credit where there is a pipeline to the White House. I'm not going to get into it. It's not none of my business to get into it. But I can tell you that they've got a pipeline into the White House. Um, that's all I'm going to say. And you can, you can, uh, and at least in my view, you can trust a. Uh, what comes through that particular pipeline that I know about, and I'm sure there's more. And we've developed some some contacts as well, um, perhaps not as high level necessarily, but nonetheless with the access that is uh, desired. And what we're trying to do, just just openly transparent, what we're trying to do is open a channel where we can invite people to speak on behalf of the administration um, onto this platform, which is why I mentioned about the, you know, when I see, well, my goodness, uh, you're tarnished by the accusations of 
Russian collusion or being an agent for Russia and such. Uh, perhaps the White House would not want to, or even many guests would not want to be associated with that stigma, if you would call it a stigma, even though the allegations are false. That's why I mentioned that. And by the way, what, uh, what uh, Devin Nunes said about Biden being the point man, he was made the point man for all things Ukraine by Obama. And it's interesting after you see the um, testimony of Jennifer Williams and Lieutenant Colonel, not Mr., but Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, you'll find that uh, neither of the witnesses today ever heard of the Biden-Ukraine Burisma connection until the impeachment inquiry inquisition began. Important, very important information. All right, now for the final video segment. This exchange, I think, is extremely, extremely valuable. Because there is one question, and play along at home with me, there's one question that you can ask that will destroy the entire framework, the setup of Adam Schiff here. In other words, you can destroy Adam Schiff by asking one question. And I'll give you the question after you see this exchange. Maybe maybe it's already, uh, by the time, if, you've, you're, if you're watching this on archive or by archive, maybe you've already seen that question. But if not, let's, uh, for those of you watching this for the first time, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, just hours after it aired, maybe for the first time, Maybe this is new to you. I don't know. Go ahead and play that second and final clip. Right, but the question After is, I'm sorry. You know, do you, the question is, do you know any individual, do you personally know any individual who discussed the substance of the July 25th phone call or any matter associated with the call with any member of the press? Thank you, Ranking Member, for clarifying. I do not. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Williams, did you discuss the July 25th phone call with anyone outside the White House on July 25th or July 26th, and if so, with whom? No, I did not discuss the call with anyone outside or inside the White House. Uh, Ms. Williams, during your time on the NSC, have you ever accessed a colleague's work computer without their prior authorization or approval? I have not, and just to clarify, I'm in the office of the Vice President, so not on the NSC. Right. but. No, I have not. Thank you for that clarification. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, did you discuss the July 25th phone call with anyone outside the White House on July 25th or the 26th? And if so, with whom? Yes, I did. Uh, My core function is to coordinate U.S. government policy, interagency policy, and I spoke to two individuals with regards to um, providing a some, some sort of readout of the call. Two individuals that were not in the White House. Not in the White House, cleared U.S. government officials with with appropriate need to know. And what agencies uh, were these officials with? Department of State, um, Department of State uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary George Kent, who is responsible for the the portfolio uh, Eastern Europe, including Ukraine. 
and a individual from the office of uh, uh, an individual in the intelligence community. Uh, what, uh, as you know, the intelligence community has 17 different agencies. Uh, what agency was this individual from? If I could interject here, uh, we don't want to use these it's proceedings. Our, it's our time, I know, Mr. Chair. But we need to protect the whistleblower. Um, uh, if, please stop. I want to make sure that uh, there's no effort to out the whistleblower uh, through the use of these proceedings. Um, if the witness has a good faith belief that this may reveal the identity of the whistleblower, uh, that is not the purpose that we are here for, and I want to advise uh, the witness accordingly. Mr. Vinman, you testified in your deposition that you did not know the whistleblower. Uh, Ranking member, it's uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman, please. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vinman, you testified in the deposition that you did not know the, who the whistleblower was. Or is. I do not know who the whistleblower is. That is. Well, how is it possible for you to name these people and then out the whistleblower? Per the advice of my counsel, I've been advised not to answer specific questions about members of the intelligence community. This is. The, are you aware that this is the intelligence committee that's conducting an impeachment hearing? Of course, I am. Wouldn't the appropriate place for you to come to to testify would be the intelligence committee about someone within the intelligence community? Ranking member, per the advice of my counsel and the instructions from the chairman, I've been advised not to provide any specifics on who I've spoken to with inside the intelligence community. What I can offer is that these were properly cleared individuals or was a properly cleared individual with a need to know. Well, this is, uh, I mean, you can really, you can plead the fifth but you're here to answer questions, and you're here under subpoena. Uh, so you can either answer the question, or you can plead the fifth. Uh, excuse me. Uh, on behalf of my client, we are uh, following the rule of the committee, the rule of the chair, with regard to this issue. And this does not call for an answer that is invoking the fifth or any theoretical issue like that. We're following the ruling of the chair. What, Counselor, what ruling is that? Okay. Uh, I could interject. Counsel is correct. Whistleblower has the right, statutory right to anonymity. These proceedings will not be used to out the whistleblower. All right. All right. All right. There it is. Did you catch the, the few things that were going on there? Obviously, I'm sure because of your intelligence, uh, of the intelligence of this audience, I'm sure you did. Let me preface what I'm about to say with this. Uh, given Lieutenant Colonel, I want to get it right now, Vindman's role on the National Security Council, he would have discretion over his attire. In other words, you want to wear a uniform or you want to wear a shirt and tie or a suit and tie. Um. As the council's top Ukraine expert, Vindman, he reports to Andrew Peek, the senior director for European and Russian affairs. Now, the NSC does not have any regulations that govern the wearing of military uniforms in the role in the capacity of the NSC. 
and in the capacity the witness is testifying. Okay, so this would be comparable, in my view, to a, a police officer testifying at a um, in a divorce proceeding. Right? You don't have to wear a police uniform. I suppose you can. You don't have to. And in fact, when you look at what uh, uh, Colin Powell, his testimony on a number of different occasions, and others setting the precedent, consider that they did not wear uniforms at certain times. As a matter of fact, uh, just to be clear, armor statutes specify that soldiers should wear their uniforms except when they don't have to. Um, and that's specifically when they're off duty and you don't have to wear your uniform. There, there was, there's a statement that was going on throughout the Obama regime during his time at the White House wearing a, a military uniform. And this also extended back into the Clinton time period. Wearing a, a military uniform was actually not good for your career. Now, if you're walking around in a suit, no one really knows what, you know, you could be, your importance could be elevated because you're not wearing a uniform. They don't know what your level of importance is or what your job is necessarily. With most people in, in that large population of people working in the West Wing or in the White House or in the Pentagon, wherever it might be. So it's clearly, I just want to make it clear that Vinman. He could have showed up in a shirt and tie, a suit and tie, very simply. Second thing, before I get to the heart, is um, there are, there's two issues when you talk about a discussion with a witness at a security clearance. One issue is, is the security clearance itself. Are you cleared to discuss this matter? And the second issue is a need to know. So both have to be present if you're going to discuss a matter. You could have security clearance, but if you don't have a need to know about the project or the matter that you're discussing, then you don't have the authority to, to discuss that subject. You follow me? I mean, there's two components to a, a security classification and a project. There's a clearance and then the need to know, just to be clear. If you don't have the clearance, then you can't talk about it. If you don't have the need to know, then you shouldn't be talking about it. You might you might be allowed to talk about it from a security clearance point of view, but not having the need to know is if that's not present, then you should you should not be talking about it. And that would, in theory and in practice, would disallow you from discussing the matter if you don't have a need to know. So those are two issues there. But did you see Schiff's reaction? And this is the heart of the matter here, the heart of this particular isolated clip. What was the objection to Devin Nunes' question to Vindman and Vindman's apprehension? He almost answered it. Did you, did you see him catch himself? He looked off to the right, I believe it was, up and to the right. And he caught himself. Almost answered it. Which intelligence agency? Which intelligence agency did you discuss this matter with? Now, obviously, they were talking about the whistleblower there. 
but the whistleblower, there was no mention of the whistleblower. It was a pretty generic question. So what is the one question here that would absolutely prove Adam Schiff to be a liar? Think about television detective dramas you've watched. And I smile at this because many television detective dramas have this element of surprise at the end or at some point. Well, here's the question. How does Adam Schiff know what will expose the whistleblower if he does not know who, which is his contention, who the whistleblower is? Think about that in the context of that question that was asked. When Schiff says, oh, no, 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 no. Now, let me make it clear. We don't want to expose the whistleblower. Hold on. You can't, you can't, it, it, you could expose the, this, your aunt, it, you could expo, expose the whistleblower. You could out him or her or it or whatever pronoun you want to use. Given the fact that the entire planet knows who this whistleblower is, right? Except, you know, except Adam Schiff, he doesn't know. But did you catch that? that answer would have revealed or could have revealed the identity of the whistleblower, couldn't it? But how did Adam Schiff know that? And how did Adam Schiff know that was the line of questioning? So right there, folks, right there, you know that Adam Schiff knows. I got to tell you, it was a brilliant move. If it was planned, and I think it was on the part of Devin Nunes, what a brilliant plan. Oh, you can't answer. You, no, you don't, don't answer that. Don't answer that. And Vindman's like, oh, he goes from uh, the white of the doughboy um, look to a more pasty white. Oh, my goodness. And that, by the way, that's Lieutenant Colonel Vindman to you. Did you like that? It's not Mister. It's let's let's get the fact. Let's get the the hierarchy down here. Can you imagine? That's that's who these people are. All right. One more thing. I've got a image of. Uh, um, there's a schedule here of who's coming up when next. So the impeachment hearings will be going on uh, tomorrow. They'll be going on. Well, there it is on your screen. Uh, today being the 19th, of course, the 20th, and then the 21st. So finished up. Today's over. Tomorrow it's scheduled. And then on Thursday it's scheduled. Then a break. And you can see the rest of the schedule when the representatives will be back in their district. And then we have the Thanksgiving break and so on. 
So there it is. So right now, according to this schedule, there were impeachment hearings held, as you can see, on the 13th. Or I'm sorry, on the, uh, uh, well, yeah, right there. You, you, well, you can see right there on the screen. But for the rest of this week, you've got uh, the 20th, which is Wednesday, and the 21st. And that's the U.S. House vote schedule for November of 2019. All right. With that, I wanted to, to really kind of show you what I thought was the most important aspects of what happened today. I wanted to mention, of course, like I said, the um, very interesting exchange with uh, between Schiff, Nunes, and the and and Vindman, Mister Vindman, I'll call him. Lastly, right before the break, I want to mention this: Senator Johnson details his U Ukraine involvement, says key witness is an anti-Donald Trump leaker. We know who this, well, Senator Johnson details his Ukrainian involvement. Senator Johnson claims the key witness is anti-Trump leaker. Responding to a request, and I'm, I'm citing this now from a website known as The Lid. This is posted uh, various places. Responding to a request by Representative Jim Jordan, Senator Ron Johnson sent a letter to Jordan and Nunes describing the Schiff impeachment hearings as an effort to sabotage President Trump's administration and raise questions about the credibility of Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman as a witness in the Schiff show. How appropriate. And the whistleblower. He also confirmed that the president's reasons for the 55-day delay in Ukraine aid were the same as the president's public statements. Now, as the chairman of the Homeland Security Committee and a ranking member and a member of the Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Johnson has been very involved in the UK-US relations, or I'm sorry, the US-Ukrainian relations, including frequent conversations with President Trump and administration officials on the subject. The issue here, as we all know, but more are people more people are finding out, and I think I think more within the uh, within the House obviously are are understanding this is a perm or this is an effort to permanently unseat President Trump on on uh, bogus uh, charges. But at issue in this whole in this letter here is the fact that the witnesses, plural, are obviously anti-Donald Trump. They're orchestrated, they're prepped by Schiff before being brought out to what you see here. And once you see this here on television, which you saw today, which you saw last week, and which you're going to see the rest of the week, or at least two more days, is this post-impeachment inquiry spin the media will deliver to your living rooms. I suppose we all know that. We, we all knew that, but more and more people now are uh, receiving this information in the manner in which I believe it should be received, and that's from our lawmakers. We're going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. Stand Day up next. Welcome to Hagman's The Hagman Report for today. It's Tuesday, November 19th, 2019. If it's Tuesday, it's Tuesdays with Stan. Stan Deo coming up. Visit standeo.com. That's standeo.com there. 
you can look on the right-hand side of the your screen. You'll see where it says Show Images. Click on that, and then it'll take you to another page where it'll have, a, I think, a box of four faces. You'll recognize mine. Click on that, and that'll take you to the, the appropriate Show Images. Um, let me know when we have Stan, and then we'll, I'll go right to him. But um, in the meantime, as I, as I went over the first hour, a lot of things impeachment-related. The reason, of course, is because if you look at the impeachment, and this is, I believe this to be true, and I believe this to be the easiest path to understanding. The impeachment proceedings identify the participants, meaning, in, at least in my view, the criminals, the crime, and the crime's not anything related to Donald Trump, but the crime of um, treason, sedition, attempting to enact a coup to do, overthrow a duly elected president. That's the crime. The criminals, again, in my view, the participants, the, the accused, the individuals involved in creating this artificial construct of a crime. It's a good window over and into the house and over the layout of the individuals involved and what they're trying to accomplish or how they're trying to accomplish it. The what, of course, is the takedown of, of, of our government, specifically the takedown of Donald Trump by any means necessary. Now, yesterday I spoke about what uh, Alex Jones had re reported on with respect to the what happened with, with President Trump, Walter Reed. It was reported on, I think it was on CNN as well. I think Drudge linked to a CNN report where there was a talking head. Well, actually, it was Obama's previous doctor, Obama's doctor at the White House, where he speculated it would be a heart or a neurological issue. Now, I would contend that potential uh, hanky-panky with food, maybe the injection or interjection of a foreign substance into the into the uh, either the uh, food or beverage could very well uh, result in a neurological issue. But um, but the, the the larger picture here is the takedown of the of President Trump by any means necessary. All right, all right. We had, it's my understanding we have Stan Dale from standale.com. By the way, if you haven't done so already, be prepared by way of well, prepare your house. Protect your equipment. Go to empshield.com and use promo code HAGMAN, H-A-G-M-A-N-N. That's EMPSHIELD, promo, prom, yeah, promo code HAGMAN. There it is there on your screen. And make sure you get an EMP shield for your house or for the house of a loved one. And you know something I was thinking about this. If you shop for Christmas gifts and you don't know what to buy, Let's see your parents. I mean, look, sometimes they've got everything, right? Or at least you think they do. This might be a good thing. I don't know. This is this to me. Hey, if I did not have one and my children wanted to buy me one of these, I would gladly accept it. EMPshield.com. Use promo code Hagman. Now, with that, we've got Stan Dale. Stan, my my man, how you doing, sir? Oh well, well, busy as usual. Uh, 
We just uh, finished uh, editing and uploading um, the last part of my Garden of Eden series, the formal lecture, uh, to our patrons uh, this uh, last night. And uh, you've been busy now, on that. I, I I get notices now. I mean, I, I love being a Patreon to, to patron. One of your, I love it. I love it, folks. If you haven't done that, be, well, do that. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'm uh, preparing another thing to put up there too, which will be a gift to my patron users um, or supporters. Um, I found in my records, I had filed it away and forgotten about it, which I shouldn't have done. But when Rick Coombs died, you know about uh, Rick Coombs, uh, Rick Coombs about the uh, America being Babylon yes. and the biblical proofs for it. Yes, and, and well, if our listeners may not, viewers may not, if you want to expand on it, you can. But if if you're fine with it, I'm fine. Oh, well, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what he's uh, prepared in this uh, CD that he sent me. And he asked me to not let his work, you know, die when he did. And uh, his family didn't want to pursue it. So I put it over on the side pile to wait until I got information from him to do that. And they never did. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share those files uh, on the, the Patreon channel. Uh, it won't be a publication that is sold or anything like that, but it'll be a gift from Rick Coombs to you guys to read and analyze and possibly share amongst other Christians and friends in light of what's happening to the United States today. Um, I firmly believe that Rick was right, that uh, America is part of the Babylon of this age, uh, the mystery Babylon. It uh, is a country full of nations and tongues and religions, just like Babylon was. And, uh, you know, it's kind of spooky to see it about to happen here, the, the destruction of America from within. But um, it, it's worth looking at, guys. So I'll get it up there on the Patreon site uh, in, a, in a couple of days. Thank you. Um, yeah, and I'll also be posting a, a remake of the Roswell lecture I gave in 2005, uh, which was um, about gravity and various things that the UFO conference wanted me to address. And it's kind of been a classic among people trying to figure out how gravity works and how to interface with it. And uh, I got a few emails and phone calls here recently, people wanting to know if I had a copy of it, because the, the main stuff was done by the organizers, and uh, they never you know, supported it anymore. So I, and the ones that they did have had black and white images where they should have had color images. So I remastered it all in the last week and that'll be available up on the site, uh, on the Patreon site as well. Um, it was fun doing that. It uh, reminded me a lot of the things I'd forgotten and talked about at that time. That was the first lecture I did in the United States. Gosh, That's well over 90. 15 yeah, years yeah. ago. You know, when I think about 2005, and uh, my wife and I were talking last night about something totally different after I got back from the studio. And it was about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. No, it was, it was closer to midnight. And we were talking about something that happened in 2005. It was Christmas of 04 into 05. And she said, you realize that was 15 years ago? <laughs> and I'm thinking, what happened at the time? But, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I, you know... Uh, Holly's upstairs at the moment. Uh, we're shredding old tax reports and stuff because we've kept them from the year dot. And so it's been, in fact, it will continue to be a project for the rest of the week, trying to shred all those papers and stuff. And as we go through them, of course, we review invoices and letters and things from people. And you think, wow, uh, that was that long ago, was it? It's, you know, same condition you've got. It's like uh, time just flashed by or something. I, I, I don't know where it went. Yeah. It's it's crazy, and uh, unlike most of us, you and Holly look uh, unaged. 
from five. <laughs> You're so kind. <laughs> Thanks to hair dye or beard dye that Holly does for me. Uh, maybe that's an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You look good, uh, nonetheless. So, well, thank you. Sure. Um, now the, were you, you were talking about, uh, president Trump and the, um, uh, alleged perhaps food poisoning or purposeful poisoning. Yes. Yes. I covered that yesterday. Um, the, the information I had Infowars reported on it, uh, over the weekend, I covered it yesterday because some of the information I was getting is, was the same information that Infowars was reporting on. And, uh, I just had a really bad, I, I have a bad feeling about this, Stan. I, and, and, uh, what, and I played it just so, you know, I played a clip from, um, uh, 2017, Roger Stone and, and Alex Jones were talking about the drugging of president Trump that kind of seemed to buttress that topic. So I just want to put that, uh, put that out there. Well, uh, yeah. In fact, if you look at our show, not our show images page, our home site, standio.com, down about almost to the bottom of the left column where it says prophecy, there's a, a, a note that Holly put up there. It said someone sent this in last week and we should have posted it then, but it fell through the cracks. You have to wonder if this is what happened to President Trump this weekend. And it's a, a video on YouTube, but uh, it says a prophecy from a woman that's, uh, you know, prophesies things. And she said, your king is in danger from his own associates, treason. Now, uh, I haven't listened to the broadcast or, or the thing is maybe seven to ten minutes long, but uh, it might be worth a listen to to see if it fits even closer what we're seeing happening to President Trump. I mean, I, in fact, on my show images page, uh, second uh, group of pictures down to slide 47, is a picture taken in the White House of President Trump on Friday just before all this kerfuffle started about him going over to, you know, uh, Walter Reed. And if you look at him, he doesn't look his best. I mean, physically, he looks tired and haggard. And I'm just wondering if there was something wrong. Mm. Can you see that picture there? Uh, we're we're, we're um, punching through the ad wall here. Uh, by the way, the video that you referenced is 6 minutes and 14 seconds long. It's uh, from God's Healer 7 End Times Prophecy Channel. Just is an FYI. Okay, and there's the photograph. And you are right. He does look a little bit uh, worn out and put away wet there, huh? Well, I do in ordinary times with all the crud that they're throwing at him at this shift fiasco. I mean, a farce. I mean, you know, I don't know how he has lasted this long. I mean, it just the stuff they're throwing at him, whether true or not, just must be taxing the dickens out of him. And I'm, we pray for him here every day, but uh, dang. You know, I, I hope he hangs on. Man, I'll tell you what. I, I hope, I really hope to be wrong about the uh, about the danger from within. But I'm afraid that's that's how they're going to get. And I, you know what? I think that's how they're going to get a lot. A lot of us is from our closest uh, the people that you know that put their arm around you, not uh, and you don't see that they've got a knife in in their hand. Um, those who are closest to you, do you? You know, it's one of those things. I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm just checking here if I've got this thing from uh, uh, YouTube. Is it? Uh, oh, well, you've probably seen it already. Anyway, I downloaded it from my records where um, they sent out a notice to us from um, YouTube that uh, Google YouTube that 
um, on December the 10th, they're going to change the policy for YouTube. And it's there in black and white. I got it off the site. And it says, we reserve the right to discontinue your site without notice right. because it's not profitable for us. It's you know not financially viable for us. We're not making enough off of it. And they can use that excuse on any site they want. And let's say particularly the Christian sites that they're hitting already. Yep. So, you know, our, we may have to find a different venue or start hosting our videos ourselves on our website, because if they take it down, there's, there's going to be a lot of us, you know, in the dark with places we've been visiting that are Christian websites and videos and reports. Um, well, well, Stan, yeah. we, we can assist you with that. We've got you covered. Uh, we are prepared for that eventuality. We can see that day coming. Um, and we are waiting for December 11th or December 10th at midnight to see what happens. However, if it does happen, no, our listeners won't know the difference and viewers won't know the difference. Just go to HagmanReportLive.com and there we are. You won't know where, I mean, uh, the source, right now the source platform is YouTube. Uh, a simple line of code will switch where the source is and we've got that all set up. So, Stan, if you need any assistance. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. What do I do? Do I have to put all my videos somewhere else? Uh, um yeah, I'll, I'll, you'll, this is a conversation you'll have to have with Eric the Tech, who's just right. an amazing guy. Um, I don't exactly know how he did it, but uh, he did it. So, All right, well, yeah, I'll discuss that off air. But, yeah, gee, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know what we were going to do about that because, uh, you know, people search on Google and stuff for videos, and, and uh, um, I guess they'll continue to search, but they'll be redirected to uh, wherever we're going to put the, the files. But what a pain. Oh, yeah, they changed the terms of service. Um, yeah, and, and I can see a time stand where Christians and conservative thought will not be permitted. It's already not really being indexed properly, and in the, the search engines are not. Breitbart this morning had a had a segment about this, where the they say it's uh, mathematical algorithms that make the decisions, but it's programmed by individuals. With biases, so yeah, I can see a day where we're not going to be indexed at all, and you're going to have to know us, you know, to, in order to find us. Kind of like, you know, like what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I, it just means that we'll have to take uh, uh, more responsibility ourselves on our own servers and pay more to keep the the videos available on those servers. It, it's the only way I can see. I'll tell you, it's not cheap. No, it's no. not cheap at all. <laughs> no. So, no, you're yeah. talking thousands when you talk that thousands. Yep, and, and we're, we're, you know, we already have that in place. So we have a redundancy. We look at YouTube as, well, you know, we're allowed to, so, I mean, it's free in a sense. Now, people think, well, you must be making money because there are ads running, but we don't get the revenue from those ads. So, no. okay, nah, well, at least we have a free platform until we don't have a free platform. And then, of course, we have to, but we still have to have that redundancy for the eventuality that we're not going to have YouTube. You know, President Trump is, uh, other than the, the, the Holy Spirit, is the one thing holding back evil from absolutely crushing Christian organizations and Christians in this country, and worldwide, in fact. But we're, we see it happening so rapidly that, you know, the tribulation must be about to start if it hasn't already is all I can figure. Things are really moving like a rocket in a wrong direction. You, you know, I'm glad you, glad you said that. There was, I had a question 
And I was going to ask you directly about this because this is, I think, the second time you said that statement. Um, the tribulation is going to happen real soon if it, if it hasn't already started. Is it possible not to know as a Christian that the tribulation started? Well, let me ask you, what is the signal you would see to say the tribulation started? <sighs> CNN ticker? I don't know. A Fox News ticker? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Well, I asked myself that. I thought, well, okay, is it like Jesus said in Matthew 24? I said, is it like um, earthquakes in diverse places increase in that? Um, you know, what what signal? I, I know that earthquakes are occurring in strange places now then, and they've been very uh, prominent in California and uh, some other places in Africa and uh, Europe. Um, is that what he's talking about? There would be earthquakes in diverse places. Now, earthquakes... In those days, uh, we didn't have TV or satellite or anything else. So when you had an earthquake, it had to be something big and probably close by. But for these times, uh, whether we have TV or not, I mean, we've got Internet, we've got mail and things like that. And, and a Richter 9 earthquake uh, makes a big dent on a population, killing, you know, quarter of a million people at a whack when it does. Um, and I've been watching this over in California as well. Is this spread of the... Ridgecrest earthquake pattern going north, uh, is this an increase in earthquakes in diverse places? Well, okay, is that one sign of the tribulation period uh, beginning? Uh, as I understand it, the Antichrist will rise to power during the first half of the tribulation, but I don't know that he'll actually be doing something that identifies him until the middle. Is that the way you see it? Um, the short answer is yes. That is the okay. way I see it. Yeah, well, so... Uh, this guy could be on the scene now uh, right. doing whatever he's going to do. Now, um, if America's Babylon and it's going to be burned to the ground in one hour, um, that could be nuclear. That could be a, a solar event that just cooks that, us at this part of the planet or something. Uh, with the situation in, in, in uh, Washington, we see that the United States is about to implode You know, from about two or three different uh, directions. Uh, religious, uh, political, you know, um, economic uh, race, and the Russians are certainly behind it, stirring the pot, wanting us to just collapse from within. And it's a bad, bad time for the Democrats to be attacking the president and not doing the legislation they should. It, it's a, a stupid move unless you're trying to bring them, the United States down. And when they do take us down, Russia, China will jump on board and, and maybe one uh, Middle Eastern nation like Iran or something will help to burn America to the ground. I mean, it's been known for, gosh, we've known it for 10 years, what the 120 major target cities are for the Russians. Yep. And I'm assuming the Chinese-Russian alliance would uh, follow suit on that. Uh, if it's not, if the destruction of Babylon is not nuclear war, which it, it might not be at this time, you know, that nuclear war business is probably reserved for Armageddon, but... If America is Babylon, is destroyed by fire in an hour, is it going to be the part of the book of Revelation where um, the sun shoots out a huge amount of light or when uh, an asteroid strikes the sea and, and boils up the water and kills a third of the, the life, the plant life, and the, the burst of light does that from the sun as well? Is it one of those two? Is it when the United States is facing the sun, uh, probably in a, let's see, what would that be, in a summertime axis uh, so that um you know this 
emission of a huge amount of energy from the sun hits the side of Earth that's facing it, and the majority of that will be the United States at that time, and it, it would be so hot that it would fry you know, the, the surface of the Earth in that area. I mean, what's going to be so hot you know, from the sun that light's going to be seven times brighter that's going to fry green grass, trees, bubble the oceans in that area hit? I don't think it's going to just slide around and hit there and hit here. It's going to hit the third of the planet that's facing the sun in direct you know, line with the, the emissions of the radiation. So is this part of the, the first half of the tribulation? You know, um, uh, you know, there are times when I try to hear arguments from everybody, you know, logical arguments about which way it's going to go. And in the end, I kind of walk off the porch and think, Wow, it's a nice day out here, <laughs> and uh, it gets too hard. But yeah. we're, we must be close. Well, okay, Stan, uh, if if I may ask you this question, uh, your understanding of the tribulation: um, at what point is the mark of the beast, the the hand, the forehead, the mark, actual mark, and the worship of the beast? At what point? in that timeline does that occur based on well, your I, understanding yeah in my understanding my opinion um this will occur when the antichrist uh rises to power and is actually demanded by the people of earth come solve our problem because of the environmental changes that have killed a lot of people and crops are dead and there'll be panic that's in the first half of the tribulation when the antichrist is um wounded or you know replaced by the false prophet they say that, that false prophet does a lot of the things we attribute to the Antichrist because he, he does it in the name of the Antichrist. And that would be mid-tribulation forward where people would gladly sign up and you know take the mark to this guy that solves the planet because of all the geological and warfare stress that has happened in the first half. And that's okay. why I think that's right. Must I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm excited because I find myself agreeing with what you're saying to the extent that that would be midway, right? Is Yeah. Okay. So we're in agreement that we're talking a period, a period of seven years. So that'd be a three and a half years, correct? Right. Okay. So if the tribulation has already started, let, let's say it started on, uh, um, I don't know, January 1st of this year, just because okay. my mind's simple. Um, <laughs> so that would be 19, right? We're in 19. So uh, it's hard enough for me to figure out what year I'm in. So that'd be uh, 20, 19 to 20 is one. 20 to 21 is 2, 21 to 22 is 3. That's three years, right? Yep. And then we're a half at? a year. And then half a year. So. so 22 and a half. So when 22 is finished, I guess it'd be mm, near the summer of 2023. It starts to be really bad. Or... Uh, okay, as an example. Yeah. So it would be around, the, what, would that, what would that be? 23, right? Twenty The summer of 23? Mm -hmm. Okay. I think, yeah. Okay, because 19, 20, 20, or let's see, 20, 20. Oh, gosh. But you get the idea. So, all right. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be midway. Yeah, go on. All right. So, um, in my mind, again, I'm just thinking, if let's say, just as an example, folks, don't, don't send me emails, okay? <laughs> We're just we, talking out yeah, loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you it didn't start, you know that, right? Okay, uh, so um, I, I'm kind of thinking it would have to like it would be like a bell curve, 
or, or maybe a hockey stick or, or maybe just a, a straight line. I don't know what kind of graph that would be. Like zero to 60 in, in, in that three and a half years, it would be, for some reason, I would just think, man, you would know that the stuff hit the fan really in a big way at the beginning of that three and a half years and it's just going straight up or, you know, at an acute angle. Um, for that three and a half year period, I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm not even, I don't know. Am I still talking? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll shut up now. Right. Well, you know, look, um, I, I read uh, a paper here last week. Someone sent me uh, a, a very logical paper on a new way to date, you know, the, the timing of the events of Daniel in the 70th week. And using that method, which was quite interesting, uh, you, you get to a point where 2018, Somewhere in there may have been the start of the seven-year tribulation. Now, you know, I thought, well, yeah, where's all the, the doom and disaster that might occur? But it's, as you say, it might be like one of those exponential curves, like a hockey stick going up like that, as far as the intensity of it. Now, if you think about it, last year, that was 18, we had trouble with spring. Uh, the weather was crazy and crops were hit with rain and uh, with drought. I mean, Australia is in severe drought, and you know our West Coast has had drought and fires. Um, is this the thin edge of of the wedge? You know, that's coming to just chop us down. Um, we know that we're now in a solar minimum, you know, minimum sunspot number, and uh, historically, you have increases in volcanic activity during that time. So, with the volcanoes that are now active on the planet, uh, it's quite possible that we're going to see an increase in volcanic activity, maybe the increase in Yellowstone, maybe the one down in Lake Taupo in North Island, New Zealand. These things and more earthquakes, uh, this earthquake swarm that's been going for like, what, three or four months now over in, in uh, Ridgecrest in California is pushing north slowly, but it is doing that. And that, to me, indicates that that whole fault line underneath there with all the magma pools is weakening and starting to stretch apart, as I've said on the show a couple of times. So is this part of the increase in, in uh, terrible things in the environment? I, I, I think that a large portion of the, of the disasters of the first part of the tribulation will be geophysical things, whether it be the sun doing it, whether it be you know, Earth activity that's been building up for a period of time or, or what. And this is why the Antichrist at the middle of the time could come up and say, okay, look, I can solve the weather problems. I can solve all this stuff. And it, nobody is blamed. No country is blamed for it. It's just happened, you know, uh, uh, from the sun primarily, but other things in our environment with methane and things coming to, to the surface and the oceans. And people would not say it's a Russian thing or an American thing that's caused all this so much. They would simply say, okay, it's an environmental thing which needs to be solved. And the Antichrist being anti-God, but not telling everybody at the time, would do his best to blame these quote-unquote natural events as God made or, you know, the universe made rather than individuals. He wants to blame God indirectly. So I think we'll see that start, uh, you know, toward the middle of the tribulation period. Because, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, he, he doesn't like God. I mean, obviously, because he's, he's been defeated and he just, he's playing out the, the final part of it now. Um, hmm. But I, I just feel, I mean, I talked to a lot of people, so does Holly, and, and the, 
the mood out there is that things are not right and they're getting worse by the minute. Um, so watch, you know, uh, you and I will both cover this. We'll watch the news for things in the environment, which uh, the Antichrist could be able to blame, uh, you know, God or Mother Nature or whatever, but take the blame away from countries or people and place it off planet so that eventually he could say, well, look, if God controls the sun, it's God's fault that all this is happening. And that, that'll be when he turns really bad toward the end of the tribulation period. Mm. Oh, Lord. Well, in the meantime, if I happen to get the memo on the beginning of the tribulation, I'll let you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll get it. I'll, I got emails from our last show, too. And, you know, I, I read my emails. I'm sure you do, too. Sure. And, um, and, and it's good because it's an interchange of ideas and uh, helping us to correct our course if we drift a bit off. It's, it's a community of Christians. So I appreciate yeah. that. You know, it's it's nice to be able to have uh, Christian dialogue, dialogue about Christian events with 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 a, an approach with sobriety and you know you know with the necessary um, knowledge. I think you know scripturally based. Um, I don't see any problems with this at all, and uh, I enjoy this because it, it really. I mean, what else is there? At the, at the end of the day, isn't isn't this what it's all about um, in terms of really knowledge is, is turning our, our face and our minds and our intellect to the Bible and, and to Scripture and to the bigger picture? Yeah, the reason we are, you know, I mean, it's the great unanswered question is why are we, you know? Uh, and the closest you can get to it is what's recorded in the biblical text, the things that uh, predate even the Quran and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we want to understand our, our existence. I mean, that's, what do they say? Uh, 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 what is it? Uh, cogito ergo sum, uh, I think, therefore I am. Uh, you know, uh, I, I often wrestle with this about where the edge of the universe is and where the edge of heaven is. And, you know, uh, these are the great... Uh, What's beyond? Yeah, I, I just wonder about this. So what is beyond the universe. Mm. Have you talked to Wait a second. You're not a string theory guy, are you? Or are you? Because I'm a string guy. You're, oh, you're a loop guy. I, I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm a parallel or a concentric universe guy where we have them concentric to each other. Okay. I've looked at, I've looked at brain theory, at, at uh, string theory, and various other things like that. And I'm not sure that I agree with any of them because of the the problematic issue of uh, the speed of light uh, and that, that being things. a limit. When we, that, that did change a lot of When you said problematic uh, for our listening audience, the fact that the speed of light is not a constant, right? Is what you're referring yeah. to? Yeah. 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 And it, there, the, the physics community is kind of at war with itself, trying to figure out the Big Bang and the, and the first microseconds after that, and then what happened after that. And, uh, they realize, I saw an article today in the news that the leading physicists are saying that, um, well, the original estimates we made of the speed of light and the spacing and the density of space, et cetera, et cetera, and they give a long argument, is that the stars are this far apart because of Hubble's constant. Oops, sorry, Hubble's constant's not constant. So the universe is kind of that big, maybe that big. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> When you read this, it shows that there's cracks in the physical foundations of relativity and the new relativity they're trying to understand. Um, to me, as I explained before on the show, 
our universe that we perceive out here is like um, a ball, if you wish, and we're inside of it. But this ball was brought into being, as it says in Genesis, by the very word that was spoken by God into the emptiness of space or the like the still waters of space. It went, it's like smoke being blown into a room full of, you know, cigar smoking people. It causes swirls everywhere. And those swirls condense into smaller swirls, which condense into little planets and stars. And that was the, the word spoken, that complex word by God spoken into this sea of, you know, um, microstructures or whatever that are now in turbulent motion and slowing down as the, the clusters or swirls age. And what is beyond that, I say, well, it's like being in a matrix. We're encapsulated in another universe, at least one other one, where God is in a higher energy density around us and can penetrate, penetrate through the spherical veil into where we are to come down like as angels and, uh, you know, to do things with the Ark of the Covenant and that kind of stuff. So we I see- I love that word picture you created, by the way. That was really great. The smoke yeah. thing and, and oh, yeah. the spiraling. I, I love that. Um, folks, listen to that again uh, on archive. That's a, but, but go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, that's all right. I mean, I, I put that in the Cosmic Conspiracy book uh, in the last part of it where I kind of gave a, a narrative saying at the creation of these things happened and God, they, the oneness was pleased and it, there was turbulence. And, you know, I explain all that in there in, in, in the Cosmic Conspiracy back in 1978. But, uh, in the last part of the Revelation of John, you see where the earth as we know it and the heavens as we know it will be destroyed in a fiery, you know, destruction. Everything gone at the end of the millennial age, but the new earth and a new heaven will replace it. So that tells you that there's a time coming when all that we see is going to melt down, be gone. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a change in our matrix, if you wish, our uh, little virtual reality here, which we call our universe, and that's inside of God's uh, dwelling, uh, his world. Uh, and I don't know how many levels there are other than I can count uh, maybe one, two, three levels at least of coexistence, but at different frequencies. Uh, so our atoms all pass between each other and not touch. Anyway, that's the physics. And, and if I can toss this in there, I, I think we did a program, I don't know how many weeks ago this was, about heaven and about being um, right here, mm. just on a different uh, – did you use the term frequency or – Yeah, that's probably the – yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's like, like the uh, Einstein even postulated that there's one existence here out on this shell – and this shell periodically dives down into a very concentrated form and then drives back out like this, where the atoms that are so fine you can hardly feel them pass right by you and through you as your dimension passes through them going the other way. So that uh, we can all coexist. And, and this explains to me how God can say, okay, we've got, we've got angels taking notes on you and everything you do is, is made public. You know, we know what you've done, what you thought, everything. Because we're right next to you, you just can't see us. And that's because they're, the, the atoms are so far apart you know, in, in their world that we can pass through them, they can pass through us without touching. There might be minor, minor crossover points where you get a chill or something you know, when a, a demon spirit comes up from the lower levels. But 
uh, other than that, and when you see an apparition, you know, uh, an angel appearing to somebody, that's when they cross over and that individual, that angel, his molecules are changed so they condense more and come into our density, you know, our universe and uh, can be seen and touched and heard. Um, and then he expands again and is gone. I mean, even when Jesus was in the garden after he rose, um, he was telling Mary, don't touch me. Don't touch me because I have not yet ascended. Mm-hmm. He was he was charging up to, to make his journey home and back, uh, you know, to uh, the energy was such that it would slow him down if she touched him and discharged into her. Uh, when he was, before he was even killed on the cross, he was uh, in a crowd one day and this woman touched his robe and healed her, her menstrual problems. And he turned around and said, who's touched me? I felt it flow from me. You know, the, the, the energy of the spirit flowed from him to, to heal her. So these things are clear uh, physical activities. Uh, they're, they're not a mystery, really. Anyway, I, I'm on my soapbox. Well, you know, I, I love talking about this, and I got a lot of great, uh, uh, great emails when we spoke about this last time, and a lot of people had really said, you know, I really understand. I think I understand this now, what Stan was talking about. So thank you. Thank you for humoring me and <laughs> for uh, providing me with that information. Just checking. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. I'll be here all week. <laughs> oh, yeah. What did they say? Talk amongst yourselves. Yeah, yeah. There, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, all, all these uh, prophecies in the book uh, of Revelation, I ran across an article that Holly passed to me this week. She's, it's on our main website about a bunch of ice balls over in uh, Finland or somewhere. Let me just see here. Uh, I'll get onto our site and I'll tell you in a minute. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, gosh. Anyway, what happened, I, I think it was uh, either Finland or, uh, here's the article, I'll find it, uh, where these ice balls that were about the size, uh, some of the size of a soccer ball, if you click on that's it, yeah. Uh, Finland, yeah, Finnish speech. Now, these ice balls washed up on shore, and they do that periodically, but these things probably only weighed about 10 or 12 pounds each. But I compared the size of them uh, to a a smaller soccer ball because soccer ball was the exceptionally big ones in there. And then I calculated the weight of it, and I looked at what a talent or 75 pounds of an ice ball would look like and compared the size in the slide over from that. But here's the thing. These things were formed by wave action, you know, like, peaks in the waves and, and wind rolling these ice balls over the surface of a very cold uh, sea uh, in that area. And it, it wrapped them up. You can see how smooth they are. They're not like normal. Hillstones. Um, ha- yeah, because they're clusters of things usually. Yeah, there you go. The one on the right is what they're talking about as far as a talent weight uh, of a hailstone. And the one on the left is the size of the, the largest of these on the Finnish beach. So they're approaching that, but they're not falling from the sky. They're created on the surface and rolled up into little balls on wave peaks, which is really quite cool in itself. But in looking at that article, I, I went back to um, Hal Lindsay's some discussion he gave on the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs. Some of the weird stuff that happened there and in uh, the Pacific Ocean for the testing of larger hydrogen bombs is this. When the bombs went off, they blew this mushroom cloud way up into the stratosphere, which, of course, on the, uh, boiling the, the sea at the, at the uh, explosion point, it 
put steam up that column and up into the stratosphere, which hundreds of miles away started dropping huge hailstones because the water froze in the upper atmosphere in the turbulence of that mushroom cloud and then fell to Earth. Now, I started looking. I couldn't find proof of it because in, in, uh, of, of things in the past, like, you know, four and 5,000 years ago, did we have an asteroid impact that created uh, hailstones because they melt and there's nothing left to tell you that they, that happened. But when I did the study on the asteroid that caused the great flood of Noah, the one that hit on the east coast of India, it was so big. It was the biggest one to ever hit the planet that we know of, at least its biggest footprint, biggest dent in the surface. That Kutapa asteroid boiled so much sea into the air like that, that for the first time, people in Noah's time saw rain as it condensed. Now, it could have even uh, uh, created ice balls as well, way up high. So if another asteroid hits us, like Revelation says it's going to, into the seas, it could boil up a large amount of water up into the stratosphere, and we could see hailstones as large as 75 to 100 pounds dropping out of the sky due to this enormous um, asteroid-caused uh, impact, uh, creating all that, that steam, and as it boiled up into the atmosphere to condense into uh, to ice. And that's not a nuclear bomb, but let's let's face it, when an asteroid like that hits, it might as well be a nuclear bomb because it produces the same amount of energy about a million times over and boils up the ocean. I, mean, uh, I wonder if Allstate would cover that on my car. You know, at, uh, I'd like to see the report. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to. Like, <laughs> as, as if, go ahead. If anybody survived. Yeah. I know we've got the sillies today because things are just so... So bad, man. Aren't they? You know, uh, Stan. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't have to answer this, but you know, I, I've everyone I've talked to is. It seems like their year, personally, personal to them, has been a very, uh, really a trying year for them for, on different levels on a personal basis. Have you felt that? Mm. I mean, oh yeah, oh okay. yeah, oh yeah. Uh, the, the stresses are tremendous. Um, we we've certainly been having our time, as you know, just with computer uh, attacks and stuff on us. Uh, and I, I thank again all the people that are helping us to, to crawl out of that hole that we got put into where all this stuff, this malware attack. But uh, gradually, we're getting things back to somewhat normal. And uh, some of my email records I'll never see again, but uh, that they were older, so it's all right. But uh, anyway, that's, I mean, we've just got these challenges uh, hitting us uh, financially. Uh, you know, spiritually, uh, people around us that need help and things, we, we hear their stories and we think, good Lord, I'm glad that's not me. That's a terrible thing to, for them to, to experience. And so, as you say, it's happening out there. Christian folk are, are not immune to, uh, you know, the persecution of the times. Um, oh, hey, on that note, did you see that Pope Francis said to his followers, the Koran and the Holy Bible are the same? I did. Unbelievable. How do you even? <laughs> uh, where do you where, where do you even start with that? Well, I've read you know uh, not all but a goodly portion of the Quran, and I saw where they stole thing you you were, whoever wrote it for Muhammad they stole passages from Genesis, and instead of a red calf, you know it was a gold calf. You know they changed colors and names, but they took it all from the Hebrew accounts that were like two thousand years before them. So and then then they changed it around to their way of thinking, which was just definitely not on. So I don't know how the the Pope can get away with that. I well, mean, that's just logically that's, crazy. 
Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, and it's blasphemous. Um, it's an affront, in my view, to the God of the Christian God of the Bible. I mean, uh, to compare or to to say that the Quran and the Bible are similar or the same. Um, who who was that guy that said that uh, the sixty fifth pope or something would be the betrayer of the faith? Remember oh, they uh, had the prophecy of Malachi, Saint Malachi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I apologize, my mind is scattered today. But anyway, yeah. And we must be at that pope right now because he's leading the sheep astray. I mean, there's no question about it. He is definitely turning away from what the Bible teaches. Well, interesting you should say that. Um, I'm going to have Tom Horn on on Thursday. He was the one that uh, talked about the prophecy or the the uh, last pope, um, Petrus Romanus, a book he wrote. But, but yeah. getting back to what you said, um, we're at that point where this, to me, I, I believe prophetically speaking, one could argue, and again, please, you don't have to send me emails saying that I'm, you know, one could argue that um, we're at that last point hope as you as you pointed out um with francis or or with that would have been with benedict before francis now whatever however you want to because we've never had have we ever we've never had a two pope scenario before in in the history of the vatican have we uh well when you say two pope uh i mean at the same time you've got well yeah well, you had the you had the black pope and the and the real pope, uh, right? You know, the Jesuit pope, um, right? And, and folks, no, I'm not a Jesuit. Okay, stop it. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, uh, oh Lord, yeah. Uh, you know, for you and I and and Tom and uh, the Gilberts and people, you know, and uh, Marzulli, I mean, we all get out there and mix it up, trying to support the faith and to strengthen the faith and to strengthen the church and what is coming. And, you know, because of that, we, we go through a lot of data and try to correlate it and make sense of it. And when we come on the air or write it in a book, you're always going to have those critics who haven't done any research, you know, and, and they're going to come say, oh, you're wrong, <laughs> you know, and you think, well, okay, okay, how, how am I exactly wrong? Oh, I just know you are, you know, so, Okay. <laughs> you, you can't win, you know, it, no. it's, it, it's sometimes, um, I, I don't know, at some point I, I look at some of the emails I get and some of the comments and I'm thinking, you know, I, I, there's nothing I could possibly say, nothing I could write back that would, I don't know. Uh, look, I just don't answer some of them. I, I do read logical arguments. Uh, don't get me wrong. You sure. know, where they say you need to think about this. And so I read and think about it and sometimes, you know, adopt their viewpoint. But, um, uh, and yeah. I, I, I thank people for um, logical arguments because that, that you know iron sharpens iron. It makes you think, and it it it, it expands your your thought process. As long as your your mind's not you know you don't have such an open mind that your brains fall out, um, <laughs> you're fine. Um, uh, anyway, you're you're right, but uh, you know what? It's it's a lot of fun talking. People love it too, and we just talk like this because just so much comes out and a lot of people can relate to what both of us are talking to or talking about. So oh, and I was, I was t talking about the, the uh, solar minimum we're in, you know, the minimum sunspot number. What I didn't explain was that we're in a grand solar minimum, which w happens when you have several, you know, two, three, 11.8 year cycles. 
which are consistently, uh, you know, lower than average activity. So in other words, the solar sunspot activity is lower now than it has been in maybe 30 to 40, 50 years. Uh, I kind of go back to maybe 1958, but anyway, it's a grand solar minimum. And in that time, for some strange reason, more volcanoes occur, excuse me, occur on the planet. Why? Um, is it a change in the magnetic field of the sun, which we're in, and that somehow relates uh, pressure-wise to the surface of the planet and causes earthquakes, you know, like pressure to, to release them or something? I don't know. But we, we are definitely in a grand solar minimum, and we are seeing some, oh, we have been seeing in the last oh, four months, I guess, some spurious uh, eruptions off the surface of the sun, whether they be CMEs or whether they be uh, solar wind emissions coming out of a great cavern uh, or dark area on the surface of the sun. So I just wanted to clear that up. It's uh, this grand solar minimum. I mean, we could go back to, to one that occurred in the 1650s to 1700, the, the Maunder minimum. When that stopped, everything froze over. I mean, the Thames River in, in London, you know, you, they held stores and, and bazaars and stuff on the ice because it never melted for that period of time. Mm. Anyway, uh, that's just... Uh, that particular effect at that time. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Anyway, I mean, yeah. Wow. I don't like it, the cold. No, and we're seeing uh, the, 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 the patterns are moving. The cold patterns are moving here in the United States. Uh, and I do think uh, that we have to link this to the magnetic field of the Earth rapidly at the North Pole moving towards Siberia. And when you're moving at 33 miles a year, uh, moving the magnetic field, it means that you have to do what they're doing at the airports and redraw the magnetic lines and airport uh, ver vectors and all that kind of stuff. And that's just that part of it. It's got to change migration patterns. It's got to change, uh, you know, um, ocean currents and things like that over a period of time. Now, if it continues, we're actually going to see, I think, the surface, you know, the crust of the planet start to, to move. I, I think the core of the planet will be fairly stable, but the crust will move and people will think, oh, that's a pole reversal, you know, a, geolo a geophysical pole reversal, which in essence it would be, but it's only for the thin crust of the earth. Uh, that's, if you look at the physics of it, that's what we're looking at. Okay, wait a second, and maybe I'm thick. If you've got a, a, a pole movement of, well, as you said, 33 miles, why would the crust, why, why would, how would that be attached to the crust or how would the crust be attached well, that. there are large uh, ferrous iron deposits in the, uh, the Bermuda Triangle and in okay. the uh, in Alaska and in North America, and these things are you know magnetic. Or they're they're subject to the current flows inside the Got planet. It. Yes. But what is also happening is not only is the North Pole drifting, you know, kind of like rocketing towards Siberia, it is accompanied by a couple of other pairs at least one pair, but maybe two north-south poles inside the planet between the crust and the core. Now, NASA knows this. NASA's modeled it in their supercomputers and put it on their website even, that at a time of a magnetic pole reversal uh, leading up to and, and after, you can have as many as three north-south poles floating around inside the planet. And this is not, this is not atypical. The sun itself has several you know, uh, north-south poles. For instance, the, the North Pole of the Sun, when it shifts, you know, reverses every 22 years or so, 11 to 22 years. Anyway, the North Pole and the South Pole of the Sun are like this. 
And then all of a sudden, you'll see up here, the North Pole of the sun becomes a South Pole, and you got two South Poles at once. Mm. And then finally, the Southern Hemisphere will catch up, and you got a North down here and a South up there. It's, it's turbulence within the, the hot plasma of the sun. And in our case, it's turbulence within the, the magmatic, uh, you know, the magma core of the planet. Uh, I know, I know if I were in charge of distributing some of this information to the public officially, that I'd be hard pressed to just come out and say it to people that, you know, this is threatening the entire planet. I, I want to keep order as long as possible on the planet and make plans for rebuilding after something like that happened. But these things are there. We're, we're getting leaks from geophysicists, uh, you know, from seismologists from USGS, uh, and they're unofficial leaks. We know it. They tell us, and we can't use their names. But things are changing rapidly and drastically. Mm. How long do we have? I mean, we, we don't really know. We can't say with certainty, right? But we're, we're looking at something imminent. And by imminent, I'm talking generationally imminent, I suspect. Yeah, I would say that at the rate things are going with the magnetic pole drift, uh, and recent discoveries, by the way, in the Bermuda Triangle, one of these um, uh, History Channel or uh, Geo, Geo, what it, uh, National Geographic Channel might have done it, where they found that Bermuda is a magnetic island. It's made from you know magnetite, and it's it throws compasses off like Gangbuster has for hundreds of years. If if we look at this, that we see this rapid change in the magnetic pole, we're going to see weather patterns change um, because our weather patterns are connected to the flow of earth currents in the mantle and up into the crust. And these are called telluric currents. They link to cloud formations and, and, and weather fronts and, and lightning discharges. So all these things are integrated. They're not separate little processes. So when when the magnetic field starts to drift this much and this rapidly, uh, we can expect immediate results, and we're seeing that. I, I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. And, and I, I happen to see a, an old episode of, or an episode of the old uh, C, uh, series Numbers. I don't know if you remember that show. Uh, anyway. Oh, he, he could see numbers and stuff, that guy that uh, had to. Well, yeah, he used um, algorithms and numeric formulas to right. assist his brother in the FBI. But anyway. Uh, I thought of you when when there was an episode where he was talking about the ocean currents actually affecting the uh, it was ocean currents weather patterns, um, and uh, I think it was direction of the tornadoes or I can't remember it was something but it made me think of you in, in your calculations. <laughs> I'm thinking, my gosh, this rep stands alley, but uh, yeah, yeah, stuff that we can't really yeah. see. But so uh, when when the world gets uh, clobbered by a great solar release of energy and it burns America and the seabeds just before we all disappear. I can stand on a hill and say, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You got to laugh. <laughs> well, you, you do because you know, this is heavy stuff that we're talking about, but at the end of the day, as, as long as we know, you know, we're spiritually right. And I think in, at least in my view, anyway, as long as we're spiritually right with God, um, and we know, uh, you know, we, we profess the name of, of Jesus. I think that, uh, um, regardless of what happens, we're going to be okay. Hey, uh, speaking end. of what happens, on, I, I skipped over this slide 42 on my show images page. NASA is currently tracking three near-Earth objects due to fly past the Earth on November the 20th. That'll be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Worryingly, it says, two of the three were only spotted this past weekend. 
<laughs> Once again, raising tensions over planetary defense. Uh, and no offense to the uh, planetary, you know, the near Earth object uh, project, which is trying to track as many as they can. They can't see them all, no matter how big the telescope is, because they're dark until they get, you know, reflective surface or whatever. But this is clear and present danger that we, we know could surprise us at any moment, at any tick of the clock, a big asteroid could hit us. Um, and I, you know, you can, there's nothing you can do about it. I, you know, that reminds me, um, not, not to diminish the importance of that, in the, the few minutes we have left, two minutes I think we have left, you had mentioned, I think, last week about, did you tell me there was 160 or 170 million pieces of debris in in near Earth orbit space. It was either 170 or 17 million, but it was like in the millions of debris. Yeah, just from little dust-sized particles that they estimate uh, to the larger pieces of of spacecraft that have flown off. Somewhere. Okay, I, that that's that's not all man-made debris, is it? In other words, parts of satellites, rockets, soda cans. Um, well, butts. I don't know. I mean, what? Where else would the debris come from? Well, I don't know. But I, I was trying to do the math on that. And I thought it was like 170 million. I thought that was a All number. Right. And I was trying All to right. do the math on that. I'm thinking, how, how? so that would mean an exorbitant number per year. of. Well, yeah, but understand that this can happen with one craft. And it's got a bunch of little small parts in it, like um, granules of something or other that explodes and throws out you know, millions of particles at 17 and a half thousand miles an hour in orbit around the planet. And those become debris. Kind of like the first from Ikea. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Water from Ikea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, there's a, on slide 43, there's an article you can click into and listen to this. Uh, I found it too difficult to put in a direct audio link of it. It's only a few seconds, but it's, uh, how you, you get to hear the solar wind, the particles, the charged particles coming from the sun hitting our magnetic field, our magnetic pause, and they're hitting it. And so the scientists have said, well, look, you can't hear it because it's, it's such a high frequency, but we'll, we'll transfer that high frequency down to sound that you can hear, and you can hear the solar wind hitting our upper atmosphere. So why is this important? Because it is the basis for what T. Henry Murray was talking about, how we can take solar wind onto a charged antenna, it beats on it, and you can hear the, the sound I'm talking about, and convert that, that vibration in the atmosphere to electricity that you can use in your home. And that would just be using the sun. Uh, you know, you can use it day and night. You don't have to have it, uh, the sunlight to do it. Wow. So, All right. Well, Stan, thank you so much. We're at the end of the show. I can't believe how quickly that went. Folks, standale.com. And, and you know what, folks? Do me a favor. Support Stan and Holly Dale. Support Stan Dale. Go to standale.com. Patreon is right there. It's well worth it. Let me tell you the great stuff they've got. Standale.com and the Patreon for that. I'll have a link in the program description box at Hagman Report Live. Thank you, sir. Lord bless you now. See you later. All right. Good night. Folks, that'll do it. Have a great night. <laughs>